feel like I'm an object at an Armenian evangelistic rally. You're telling me to come forward all the time. He has a serious doubt about my spiritual state. Uh-oh. There's room at the cross. <laughs> oh, well. Make a stupid statement. Get a... <laughs> No, it isn't. That's a very good song. Shouldn't let the Arminians get all those. It's Trudy. I appreciate you picking 483. That, that's a an excellent hymn. We had a an elder in Franklin Square who was a lawyer, and I, he knew something of what it was like to have particular spiritual warfare that, that godly lawyers do in a, in a godless legal system. And uh, I always knew when he had a very difficult week at work because when it would come time on Sunday evenings to pick the, same, the song, his hand would go up and I always knew it was 483 when we're using the Blue Trinity hymnal. That's a, that's a great one. Parents, let me uh, take a moment to mention um, some books that don't deal specifically with spiritual warfare but they deal with child nurture. And the reason I mention them is because in my uh, enjoyable interactions with you, th- this is come up in one way or the other. Usually I've initiated it, of course. Um, but I want to mention some books that I think will be helpful for you. If you've not heard of them, uh, get them. If you've got them, one person said, oh, yes, we have that book on the shelf. Um, but it doesn't help you if it's on the shelf, kind of like food in the refrigerator. won't help you unless you eat it. But these are some books that I think will be helpful for you with your children. Um, and children, I commend you. Unless I'm missing something, uh, you're a really a well-mannered group. That's not equal to salvation, but it's great to see that. Uh, books are these. Withhold Not Correction by Bruce Ray. Bruce Ray is a Calvinistic Baptist. I don't believe what he says about junior church at all. Junior church is church. If the Apostle Paul had the children in worship and could speak to them saying, husbands, wives, children, then it's good enough for me the children be in worship. But apart from that, uh, for parents with little children, uh, Bruce Ray's book is excellent on the biblical view of the rod and reproof. If you have questions about that or um, problems with that, and I understand some do. I realize there are some children who are brought up in abusive homes, and so when they hear the rod, all they think of is child abuse. I understand that. But I think Bruce Ray distinguishes in his book Withhold Not Correction from the legitimate and illegitimate use of the rod. And we actually have a rod and reproof pack in Franklin Square. I've got to be careful how I say this and what I do because I could get in trouble. But our rod and reproof pack is part of our evangelism. We give all of our parents with little children a copy of Withhold Not Correction and a paddle with a warning that the paddle is to be used on a certain padded area of the body that the Lord has used as prepared for spankings. Uh, But that's evangelism because the Lord says the rod and reproof give wisdom. And uh, the rod is a means of uh, inculcating in children a view there is right and wrong. Second book, and most of you have heard of this, uh, the book by Ted Tripp, T-R-I-P-P, Shepherding a Child's Heart. I wish that book had been written a long, long time ago, but I'm glad it's out now. Uh, Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which is a good companion volume to withhold not correction. Yes, sir, Alex? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, do you want to come forward too? I see that hand. Yeah. That's great. It's almost better than the Board of Education for that paddle. That's excellent. Yeah, that's true. That's good. There's a real lesson in that. Okay, so Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. But the third one that many of you have not heard about. How many of you parents have teenagers? Uh, Young adults. Young adults. That's the proper term. Okay, great. If you've not heard of the book, 
Age of Opportunity by Paul David Tripp. You cannot say from this point you've not heard of the book because I just mentioned it. But the best book that I have read and I've tried to read, there's not much out there from a Christian perspective on dealing with teenagers, but Paul David Tripp, I think it's Ted's brother or cousin, um, I mean, even Baptists do things in families. But, well, anyway, they, but his, this companion volume, Age of Opportunity, is excellent for dealing with teenagers. And this is what prompted my thinking. Last night, I didn't get to deal with the subject of the world. Now, children, I just gave away one of the three answers that you're going to have to give in a little bit, okay? But I didn't get to deal with the world, dealing with our young people about the world, but Paul David Tripp, Age of Opportunity, it's a great title for dealing with teens. And he takes the shepherding a child's heart approach, but applies it to dealing with teenagers. And so Parents with Teens, that's a great book. Age of Opportunity, Paul David Tripp. And that will help you take some of these things we're learning and apply them to your own families. And pastors, if you're not familiar with these books, do be familiar with them. They're very useful. Okay, page 18 in your notes for tonight. Page 18 in your notes. going to read scripture we're going to pray in just a minute but let me do a review first okay for the children i'm thankful to mrs deru do you all know mrs deru do get to know mr and mrs deru so thankful to mr and mrs deru i want to tell you one of the things i love about mr and mrs deru i've known them for a number of years from general assembly mr and mrs deru have you ever heard of the word retirement do you believe in retirement? No. That's good. <laughs> These folks went to Suriname how many years ago? Yeah. And Mr. Deru said, we'll go to Suriname. He told the committee, we'll go to Suriname. We'll serve over there. We'll do anything. We'll wash toilets if you want. And they meant it. Okay. And um, I'll tell you what the Lord had Mr. Deru do. Had him teach at the Suriname Institute of Theological Studies. So these are folks that... Uh, you know, I had a minister tell me the other day, it was a wonderful statement. He says, I don't know why Christians want to retire because after I die, I'll have loads of opportunity to rest. Well, that's a, that's a good answer. Um, and anyway, but anyway, Mrs. DeRue, so you know Mrs. DeRue. This, my first question tonight for you children is a question that I have for which I'm indebted to Mrs. DeRue. Here it is. How do you spell kumquat? And I checked it on my spell checker today to be sure. I had it right, too. How do you, you know what a kumquat is, right? How many of you children do not know what a kumquat is? Mrs. DeRue, your mission this evening is to introduce these children to kumquats. All right? Uh, all right, there you go. How do you spell kumquat? Anybody know? Any of you children? National Spelling Bee type children? Somebody want to guess? Peter, you got a prize? Come on, try spelling kumquat. No? You don't want to try it? He's good. Someone else? Yes, there. Yes, dear. What? Hey, that's great. Excellent. What's your name? What is it? K-R-I-S-T-I-N? Yeah, okay. Very good. Kumquat is K-U-M-Q-U-A-T. They're great. Hey, if you haven't had kumquats, try them. Of course, then again, after you try them, you might never speak to Mrs. DeRue or me again. Uh, but they, they are uh, a unique thing. Okay. Um, what's that? What's this about the razor strap? You're going to use it on me if I do anything else like this. <laughs> okay. Remember, there's an ongoing war. Remember, the Bible says there is enmity. Children, what is enmity? Warfare. Oh, excellent. You did very, very well. It's a battle between seeds, right? Seed of the woman and the seed of the 
devil culminating in a seed and that seed is kids. No, one who? Ultimately, it's a battle between God the Son, Jesus, and the devil. Okay, all right, so we covered that all the first time. Can you escape that warfare? Can anybody escape that warfare? Yes or no? You cannot escape the warfare. So everybody is on one side or the other, either the side of the what? The devil or the side of the Lord. Okay, that was Monday night. Now, Tuesday night, we have three fierce enemies. And what are they? Yes, dear, what? The, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Excellent. How many of you knew that? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Excellent. Very, very good. Ah, you're learning your lessons. See, you learn. The first night I met it when I said I was going to ask you questions, right? More of you got the answer right then. Now, next question. The devil is like a roaring lion. Now, did you listen really carefully? How does the devil roar? There's a lot of ways, but I mentioned last night. Any of you remember? Maybe adults can help out. Don't look at your, are you looking at your notes. I see Pastor Schroeder looking at his notes. <laughs> Pastor Schroeder is so tall, I can see him at every point. You survived the activities the second day, Pastor Schroeder? You did, and you're not hobbled over. Great. There you go. <laughs> okay, yes, how does, the, how does the devil roar? Persecutions, excellent. Number two, how? By what? Yes. By severe, really, really severe temptations, right? And then number three, how? The noise of our culture, okay? So the devil in the world, well, okay, she looked all right. I'm sure Pastor Schroeder couldn't have given him the answer because he looked at it too, all right? Now, big question. Don't look at your notes for this. How is the devil defeated? How's the devil defeated? You know that, Peter, right? How? Yes, where? Where, did the, where was the devil defeated in principle? At the what? At the cross. When's he going to be defeated completely? When? Yes. When, when Jesus comes back. Very good. At the last day. Hey, how do the young people do tonight? They do really, really well. That is excellent. That is super. Okay. Before we pray, before I read Scripture. Tonight we're dealing with the theme and put your armor on, and this is the reason. You cannot win the battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil on your own. You cannot do it. You are bound to lose if you try to fight this battle on your own. You need nothing less than the power of God on your side in order to win the battle. That's why if you're not on God's side in faith, you're going to lose. Text tonight, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning at verse 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Because if we did wrestle against flesh and blood, it's not in the text, it's Pastor Shisko's annotation, if you did, then you don't need to have these weapons. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, evil angels, the emissaries of the devil. So this links us tonight with last night. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I might make known, might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you've not only told us there is a battle. Thank you that you've not only told us our enemies and how our enemies will be ultimately defeated, how they're defeated in principle. But Lord, thank you that you've also taught us how to fight. And we ask that this evening you will teach us from this passage how to be strong in the Lord of hosts. Amen. Once again, you cannot win this war on your own. You must have the power of God on your side. This is, again, why well, you've got to be on the side of God or you lose. My friends, listen. You will be like a feather in a hurricane if you try to resist the devil in your own strength. Okay? You cannot win the battle in your own strength. Now, in order to fight the battle, prerequisite, building on what I said this morning, you must be a genuine Christian if you're going to win this war. You must be a gen- I dealt with your moms and dads about this today. So let me, let me speak to the children a little bit about what being a genuine Christian is. Okay? Moms and dads, you can listen too. When you were baptized, now most of you are too little to remember it, but you've seen others baptized. When you were baptized, this is what happened. The catechism says, shorter catechism says, that our baptism is our engagement to be the Lord's. I don't know if this is exactly what it meant, but let me give you an idea of what engagement is to me. Do you know what engagement is? Now, give me your name again. Jennifer. Well, I can't say again because I haven't met you before now, have I? I did? Did you give me your name? Oh, I'm sorry that I forgot it. Jennifer, you get older, and um, you meet a wonderful, wonderful, godly Christian man, fine Orthodox Presbyterian man. And he really loves Jennifer. And he has spoken to your mom and dad and says, I would like to marry Jennifer. And mom and dad say, yes. And then he comes to you and he asks you to marry him. You would become, do you know the next word? What? Not at that point, become his wife. But you're close. You would become, do you know the word? Hmm? Nah, not girlfriends. That probably would precede it. Someone want to help Jennifer? Become what? Yes. Engaged. Excellent. He would say to you, I want you to be my wife. Now, children, when you were baptized, Jesus said, I want you to be mine. Okay? And because he put you in a Christian home, he says, I want you to be my children. I want you to follow me. I want you to love me. In fact, actually, he even says, I want you to marry me. Because the scriptures say that the church is the what of Christ? What is the church? Yes, the bride of Christ. Okay, so that's his engagement. He calls you to be his. And all the time, your mommies, your daddies, your pastors, your elders are talking with you. They're always telling you about the wonderful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he's even more handsome than this guy that wants to marry you. Incidentally, who does want to marry you? Oh, you're too young for that yet. 
But you know, the Lord Jesus is the most wonderful groom. He's fairer than 10,000. Okay? And your mommies and your daddies and your pastors will tell you all about that. Okay? Now, there comes a point in your life, and this only comes by grace, but there comes a point in your life where you say, you know, the Lord Jesus is the most wonderful, the most glorious, the most awesome hero in all of the world. And I want to follow Him. And that's the point at which you say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my husband. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. And you do that by a profession of faith in the church. Okay? Now, what it is to be a genuine Christian is for you to say, not just I'm baptized, but to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord and I will follow you and serve you. Because Jennifer, when that wonderful, godly, orthodox, Presbyterian man marries you and you take the vow... And I said, that's going to be wonderful. I want, to, I want to get an invitation to that wedding, but it's probably going to be a few years. And where are your mommy and daddy? Are they sitting here? Did you know that she's engaged? <laughs> okay, she's... Oh, great, you go home and tell your friends, I got engaged, I can't. But when, you, when you get, but when you get married, you're going to submit to your husband. That's why you wanted to be a godly man, right? You're going to submit to him. You're going to love him more than anybody else in the world. And young people, that's what it is to be a genuine Christian. And I want to ask you, are you genuine Christians? You can say, I love Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I believe Him. He speaks in His Word. He speaks to me through His church. And I want to follow Him all my days. Okay? I hope you can say that, because I'll tell you why. If you're not a genuine Christian, then you cannot win the battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Impossible. Okay? So, you've got to be a genuine Christian in order to fight. But, the Scriptures say, we are to be strong in the Lord of hosts. Look at the language in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And in the final two messages in the series, tonight and tomorrow night, I want to deal with you about what it is to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Tonight, we're going to deal with the armor. Put on the whole armor of God. This is the first way you are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And I want you to notice it is being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might that begins by putting on the whole armor of God. You're going to get, I hope you don't get sick of Pilgrim's Progress. I hope you're tempted to go home and read all the few parts Pastor Shisko hasn't read during the series. But you know, in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian's gone to the cross and he's loosed his burden. He's now a genuine Christian. And he has to go to Palace Beautiful. Okay? Now, it's really interesting. In fact, it's fascinating to read what Christian had to go through in order to get to Palace Beautiful. You know what he had to go through? I'm not going to tell you. I have to read the book. But when you get there, he's in Palace Beautiful and he speaks with piety, prudence, and charity, has a wonderful time of fellowship with them. And we read the next day, they took him and had him into the armory where they showed him all manner of furniture which their Lord had provided for pilgrims as sword and children. I'm going to give you a hint. You're going to hear seven things mentioned tonight. Later, I'm going to tell you how to memorize them. But this is going to be your question for tonight. Listen, as sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, all prayer, and shoes that would not wear out. And there was here enough of this to harness out as many men for the service of the Lord as there be stars in the heaven for the multitude. Because Christian was going to go to fight Apollyon. And he couldn't win unless he had his armor on. Now, he was taken to the armory. I'm going to take you to the armory tonight as well. We're going to go to the armory and we're going to look at this armor of God and how to use it. Now, 
I am not going to deal with you tonight about specific tactics for battling the world, the flesh, and the devil. I am going to deal with you about the strategy. Are you aware that there is a difference between strategy and tactics? Very interesting distinction between strategy and tactics. And if you want to know the difference between strategy and tactics, where's Victor? Victor, you know the difference between strategy and tactics, right? What's the difference between strategy and tactics? Okay. And tactics? Exactly. The tactics are the, are the ways in which you win the specific battles, right? Strategies, how you win the war. Now, you talk to Victor about tactics. I don't want to talk to you about strategy tonight, okay? We're going to deal with strategy, about winning the war. And if for those of you who would like to read what I regard as the finest modern exposition, uh, some people like William Gurnall's thing, The Christian in Complete Armor. I, if you like it and that's useful to you, great. But I found it helpful to read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones's exposition of Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 20. Our military men will love this title. It's called The Christian Soldier. So if you'd like to know some of the tactics... Martin Lloyd-Jones' uh, commentary on Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, The Christian Soldier. He deals with some of the specifics and development. Tonight, though, the strategy. Let's look tonight under the theme and put your armor on. Number one in your notes, page 18. Note first, the armor is something God has provided. The armor is something, this is what you write in your notes, God has has provided. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Of God means it is God's armor. It is a possessive. And you are meant to put it on. And incidentally, in back of that phrase, put on the whole armor of God is an incredible... You want to like the word awesome? It's awesome an awesome concept that the Ephesians would have understood that we don't. And we'll get to it a little bit later. But it's very important. It is God's armor. It's the armor of a victor, but you are meant to put it on. Put on the whole armor of God. The armor is something God has provided. Now notice that armor is something that is external to you. Shoes are on your feet. A sword is in your hand. A breastplate is on your chest. A helmet is on your head. Okay? It is something that is external to you. Don't mingle in perfect material with this armor. Let me tell you what I mean. Commentators struggle. They'll wrestle with the issue of the breastplate of righteousness. And they'll say, well, is this the righteousness of Christ or is it my righteousness? Now, I don't want to discount the whole debate, but let me just tell you very simply why the issue is it is not our righteousness. If I am standing in a battle with the world and the flesh and the devil, knowing that I have in this life but a small portion of the new obedience, there is no way that I want the breastplate of my righteousness to stand in that war. Now, if you want to have it, that's your business, but not for me. No way. I want something that doesn't have a chink in the armor so that I can, like Ahab, get hit there and die. 
This is something that is external to you, and I urge you not to mingle in perfect material with this. Now, I can prove this biblically. I want to do a brief biblical theology, and by biblical theology I mean what does the Word of God say about this armor so you understand what this armor is. This armor is something that Jesus forged, made, and used for you. Jesus is the one who originally used this armor. Let me prove it. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 11 and verse 5. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 5. Notice this is in a context speaking about the Messiah. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, Isaiah 11.1, 1, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is a picture of the one John 1.32 who was anointed with the Spirit above all measure. And do you know what that was for? Jesus was not anointed with the Spirit to somehow make Him more than God. Jesus was anointed with the Spirit to prepare Him for battle with the world and with the devil, not with his flesh because he had no sin, but with any temptation that would be hurled at him. Okay? So Isaiah 11 is speaking of the equipping of Christ by the Spirit. His delight, that is Jesus' delight, is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now watch. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness the belt of his waist. Remember that, a belt. Truth that would hold every single thing together. That's what Jesus had. Not a literal belt. But everything was held together by righteousness, by faithfulness, and by truth. This applies to Christ. Look at Isaiah 59 and verse 17. Notice the context again. He saw that there was no man. Isaiah 59, verse 16 first. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore His own arm, that is the arm of God, brought salvation for Him and His own righteousness. It sustained Him, speaking of the active obedience of Christ, for He, that is Christ, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on His head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing was clad with zeal as a cloak. The point is... For our Lord Jesus, in the work of the Spirit equipping Him, He had breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation on His head, applying to Christ. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Incidentally, if you wonder why the helmet and 
salvation, the head are related. We'll come to that a little bit later. I think here Lloyd-Jones and others have made a very interesting comment on why we speak of something on the head regarding salvation. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. And you could put a capital H here, although it's speaking of the representatives of Christ to come. In this case, it is one. Are the feet of Him who brings good news, the Gospel, who proclaims peace and brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Not only applying to Christ, but in the first place, as you will find, applying to Him, the feet of Him who brings the Gospel of peace. Isaiah 49 and verse 2. Another text dealing with Messiah. Listen, O coastlands, to me. Verse 1 first. And take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. Speaking of Christ called from the womb of the Virgin Mary. And He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand He has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In His quiver He has hidden me. Ah, you say, but wait a minute. This can't be referring to Jesus because verse 3 says, He said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Well, my friends, unless you believe that the nation of Israel is going to save the world, that can't refer to the nation of Israel. Verse 6, This one will be given as a light to the nations that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus who is the one in whom, within whom Israel is in union. This is speaking of Christ. The text here says, Out of His mouth, will go a sharp sword, something that is Christ's. The shield, especially in the Psalms, but Psalm 91, 4 is an example. Psalm 91 and verse 4. Surely He, verse 3, shall deliver you, that is God, He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, one of the things the devil also is, and from the perilous pestilence. And he, that is God, shall cover you with his feathers. Oh, Jerusalem, how often I, the Lord Jesus, would have gathered you as a hen gathers its chicks, but you would not. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Whose truth? The truth of the Lord God the Lord Jesus, the Redeemer of His people. And brothers and sisters, I submit to you, you look at all of the armor of God and all of it is fulfilled in Christ and His work. Something objective, something's out there. Even His armor is out there and we take it. Christ is there and we take Him. What about Jesus' earthly ministry? His was a ministry of truth and faithfulness all the time. The belt of truth and faithfulness. None could accuse Him the breastplate of His own righteousness. Which one can lay sin to the charge of the Lord Jesus? He had the breastplate of His own righteousness. He traveled throughout Palestine with the good tidings of great joy. That's why there's the record of His walkings bringing the Gospel to Samaritans and to Jerusalem and to so many other areas. 
His advances were by the Word of God. When the devil came to him, he bore the sword of the Spirit. God has said. On the cross, he wore the helmet of salvation. Take a little bit of this wine to dull the senses. Jesus said, no. Part of his active obedience, because that's what the armor is, the active obedience of Christ, is that he would fully obey, even unto death. And the shield of faith, the Word of God, upheld him at every point, even on the cross when he said, it is finished. That was his own belief and conviction in light of the Word of God. He had done everything necessary for salvation in his own prayer, especially at the end of his ministry, that he might be able to stand in the hour and the power of darkness. This is speaking, in other words, of the active obedience of Jesus. That's the armor of God. The active obedience of Christ, His own spiritual equipment that He earned by His own obedience, being filled with the Spirit beyond measure. Jesus' earthly warfare was a complete success. From the time of His conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary until the time He ascended up into heaven, there wasn't one loss of one battle. And when the blood was shed, it was for victory. And the armor is all there in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you what's awesome about this phrase. Notice back at Ephesians 6 what the text says. Put on the whole armor of God. And those, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Those who have studied the use of the word armor here believe that that word is used to describe what was called the splendid armor of a Roman conqueror. Now again, I'm not enough of a Greek scholar that I can pass judgment on it, but it sure makes sense for this reason. If that is the term that's used to describe the splendid armor of a Roman commander, the Roman commander, number one, was the most royal of Rome's troops. For those of you who may have seen the movie Gladiator, Maximus was one who had to have had the royal armor. He was the top one on the list as a royal commander. And according to Roman tradition... The most royal of Rome's soldiers would take that splendid armor and give it to another choice soldier going out to battle. He did not keep his armor when he won his victory. He would take his armor and give it to someone else. Now, if that's the case, that makes eminent sense. Jesus is in heaven. He doesn't need that armor anymore. He says, I'm going to put it in my own armory and I'm going to give it to you who believe in me. Every one of you. You're all the very special troops. You are to put on this armor. God has provided it, but you are to put it on. What does that mean? Romans 13 and verse 14. Romans 13 and verse 14. Here's another way of saying the same thing Paul does in Ephesians 6. 
Now, children, here's going to be one question for tomorrow. What is it to put on the armor of God? Don't answer right now. I'm going to give you the answer at this point. What is it to put on the whole armor of God? Romans 13 and verse 14. But put on, same word, the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That's what it is to put on the armor. It is to put on Jesus Christ. And what is it to put on Jesus Christ? It is to put on the whole armor of God. Not Saul's untested armor. David knew well enough to know that armor hadn't been used in battle. Why even take it? He'd rather take his sling that he was used to. Jesus has already used this armor and it works. And he gives it to you. And my dear brothers and sisters, this and this alone is where your strength is. The Gospel is not about what you and I do to help out Jesus. It's about what Jesus does for you so that you in Him win the victory. The armor, number one, is something God has provided. Number two, in your notes, Roman numeral two, it is complete. It is complete. Put on, the text says, the whole panoply, that is the whole armor of God. That means you don't say, well, today I'll use a sword, but I'll leave the breastplate home. Helmet will be nice, but I'm not going to worry about the shoes. Put on all of the armor of God. It is complete. Now, you'll notice in the list of the armor, and there's seven of them. We're going to come to children. I can remember it. There's two types of armor here. There's seven items. Five of them are defensive armor. Okay? First five we're going to look at are defensive armor. The second group of two are the offensive armor. Now, that's not usually the way we speak. We usually speak of defensive armor, but here it's defensive or offensive. Children, this is what offensive armor is. Offensive armor is armor so that you can kill the enemy. Okay, That's offensive armor, so that you can kill the enemy. You know what defensive armor is? It's so that you can keep from being killed by the enemy. Okay, Defensive, keep from being killed by the enemy. Offensive, so you can kill the enemy. Let's look at the defensive armor first. Number one, look at the text, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We'll come back to that. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, withstand, stand, stand. Here we go. Having girded your waist with truth. That's the first piece. Girding of the waist is kind of like a belt. I wear my belt so the pants don't fall off. All right? That's, the, I mean, that's, really, that's what it's for. But this, this belt was more than that. The belt held everything together. The toga that you wore at the top, what you wore to cover your legs, the breastplate, everything was held together by a belt, okay? A sash, a belt, and the belt here is the belt of truth. That's the first piece of defensive armor. Having, your, having girded your waist, having a belt around your waist, and that belt is the belt of truth. Number two, verse 14. Again, in the last part, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a piece of metal or a piece of chain mail that was put on your chest. You know why? Because children, what's right here in your chest? Yes, 
The, huh? the heart and the lungs. Very good. Boy, that's a, that's a man that studied biology. What happens if you get a spear in your heart and your lungs? You die. So you have a breastplate of righteousness so you don't get hit in the heart and die. Put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart. Number three, the first 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having firm shoes is the idea, not these weak little old rubber sandals, but something firm. You know why? Because you're walking on stones and snakes, and that's what you were to have on your feet. But in this case, it's with the preparation of the gospel that brings peace. Firm shoes of the gospel for two things. Number one, you're going to bring peace to others. You've got to have your shoes in order to go someplace. But number two, because there were vicious snakes along the way, it was to tread down your enemies. That's the defensive armor. Number three, shoes. Number four, verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Faith is not my faith. Kind of like righteousness. Faith is what you know to be true. And you believe it. It's the shield of faith that you put up. And then in verse 17... We'll come back to why you use that shield in a bit. And take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But first of all, the helmet of salvation versus assaults that are hurled at you, especially at your head. You know why you had a helmet of salvation on? Remember the story in the Old Testament about the warrior who was at the door? And he was going to go in and conquer people. And there was a woman at the top and she happened to have a big old millstone there. And you know what a millstone is? It's a huge, heavy stone that was used to crush grain. But there's another thing a huge, heavy millstone will do. If you drop it from a high place, it will do what? It will crush people's head unless you have a strong helmet on. I still imagine that millstone would push you down a bit. But the idea here is no stones hurled at your head to crush it. All of this is what you are to put on as defensive warfare. And brothers and sisters, listen. You see the difference between this kind of stuff and psychological defenses. Christians in a battle with the evil one are told by some, just remember, every day, in every way, it's getting better. And you know what? That's not true at all. We used to say as parents, ah, it will get easier next week. And it got worse next week. And then two weeks later we'd say, ah, cheer up, Margaret. It's going to get better in a month. And in a month, it didn't get any better at all. And now we simply say, just brace yourself, Margaret. The hurricane's going to come and it's going to be worse than before. But I thank the Lord. Jesus' power is there just like it was way back then. So don't say, in every day, in every way, it's getting better and better. Or the other one that people give, that's all right. The battle is really rough, but just feel good about yourself. Well, that doesn't help you very much at all when you're in the battle with the evil one because he really makes you feel miserable. Not feel good about yourself. That's not going to work either. Ah, the battle is only in your mind. No, it's not only in your mind. People really die. That's a Christian science idea. That's not a biblical idea. Just take it one day at a time. That's okay, but what am I going to do for tomorrow? This too will pass. Yeah, but I've got to live here right now. Those things don't work. Take up the whole armor of God. Defensive warfare. Defensive armor. But also there's offensive armor. The sword of the Spirit, verse 17, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Christ Himself and His own Word. And then the second deep offensive armor is prayer. Verse 18, praying always 
with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Then I love the way Paul, as a good minister, says, Oh, and while you got the armor on, don't forget me. Pray for me that utterance might be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Parenthetically, folks, will you please pray for your pastors? See, part of your battle is to pray for your pastors. Because if they lose, you're going to lose too. Okay? So don't be self-centered in the battle. Paul says, when you're praying for yourself, pray for me also. Now, those two items, five items of defensive armor, two items of offensive armor, are items that will enable you to stand against all forms of defeat. They are everything that you need for the battle. And I'm going to prove that for you in the next point. But, breastplate. Number three, let's see, what is it? Shoes? Um, sore? I don't know. what it is. is that, that the way you memorize? Don't memorize like that. Children, let me give you a little. Yes, do you know how to memorize a list like that? Oh, you try to learn a part, and then, but then what happens when you go to the next one? You forget the first part. Of course, you're young. You're not old like me. I forget my own name once in a while. You know, in our home with the children, it's it's it used to be okay. Timothy, would you? Christopher, would you? Now, whoever you are, just do it. See, effect of old age. You know how to memorize a long list? You can make an acronym. Let's do an acronym. Here's a good one. B, B, S, P. How are you going to remember the acronym? I tried to do that. It didn't work. Let me tell you how to remember a list. We've done this with our children, with the plagues and with the commandments. In our catechism class, our children learn how to do all the Ten Commandments backwards and forwards. And they not only know that the Eighth Commandment is you shall not steal, but when they're told what's Commandment 3, they say you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They also know the First Commandment. You shall not make unto yourself any graven image or any likeness. So they say, that's an easy one. Well, what's Commandment number 7? You shall not commit adultery. Then someone says, well, wait a minute. What's the commandment? Honor your father and mother. It's number 5. And there's an easy way you can remember them. But you'll have to get me back to Southern California to teach you that. Let me tell you, children, what you do is you make pictures. Okay, and I don't want to be disrespectful with the Word of God, but this is to help you remember the armor. And you're going to have to remember it, because tomorrow I'm going to ask you, and it's going to be really something when you're getting your salad in the line, and I say to you, Jennifer, give me the seven items. And you can say, Pastor, I don't need to worry about it. I'm engaged, right? <laughs> okay, here you go. And parents, you can listen in too. Here's how you can remember the seven items offensively and defensively. Number one, picture a belt. You can think of Pastor Shisco's belt, or you can look at a guy's belt, or some of you girls have a belt. Think of a belt. That's a real easy one. Think of a belt that is around a breast, a chest, and the chest has got a big old plate on it. Can't you think of one of the plates in the dining common and a breast? got a plate on it. So the belt is right around your breast in a plate. Okay? So you've got a belt and you've got a breastplate. But now, this is, you've got to think of this as being really silly, your own work. I can imagine this, a belt around a breastplate, you think that's silly. There are a pair of shoes on that breast with a plate on it. No arms, no legs, but a pair of shoes. Right in that part of the, isn't that silly? You'll remember it because it's silly. If not silly, you're not going to remember it. Belt, breastplate, shoes. And those old shoes, they're kind of waddling around, but you've got to be real careful because all these birds and insects around here, so they're shields. 
right at the front of those shoes. So these shoes are waddling down, and there's a shield on each one of those. But those shields have got to be careful because you know those birds, uh, they can leave droppings on there, and that's bad. And so they got helmets on the top of their little shields on the end of the, of the engine. You got them? You got that? You got it figured out? You laugh, but they're going to remember these things, and I won't forget them, and neither will you, all right? So the helmet, and the trick is to remind yourself of it. Then, coming out of the helmet, see the little helmet down there? you got a sword coming each out of each one of them. Out of that helmet, there's a sword coming out of each one. And on the sword, you've got to have an insignia on your sword. Military men, do you have insignias on your sword? Yes. Praying hands. Praying hands on the sword. How many of you got that picture? Got it? What's the first item of armor? Belt. What's the second one? Don't look at your Bibles. Don't cheat. Third one is what? Shoes. What's the fourth one? Shield. What's the fifth one? What's the sixth one? What's the seventh one? See, you laugh, but they remembered it, and it's a whole lot better than trying to do an acrostic with BBSP or whatever the thing is. Got it? You want to do them backwards? Let's do it backwards. Come on, let's do it backwards. What's, what's the last one? What's the next 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 one? Ah, see? You know, backwards and forwards. All righty. You wonder where they taught you that at Westminster Seminary? <laughs> see? I'll tell you, if my teachers saw that I did this kind of thing, they're going to revoke my diploma with all that fancy Latin on it. But it works. I'll check you again with it. All right. Now, that's easy stuff, okay? The armor is something God has provided. It is complete. But you don't stop there. Some people would say, that's it. That's the whole armor of God. It's in Christ. Let's pray and go home. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, Roman numeral 3, you must use it. You must use it. Look at the language in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God. You must use it. What do those words mean? Put on means Suit yourself up with it. All of these things, the seven things we're going to go over again that I'm going to ask you about tomorrow. Suit yourself up with it. That's what it means to put them on. Clothe yourself with them. What does it mean to take them up? The language taking up armor meant two things. Number one, it was your last preparation and your final step before battle. You were told to take up the whole armor of God when you were told to get up out of your bed and put it on. That's the first thing it meant. But the way this is used in children, let me tell you a very fancy Greek word. This is an aorist imperative. Aorist imperative of take up the whole armor of God. And you say, what on earth does an aorist imperative mean? Your parents use aorist imperatives with you all the time. Because this is what this aorist imperative means when it says, take up the whole armor of God. It means do it 
now. How many of you have ever heard that expression in your home? Yes, that's what that means. Not only the last step before battle, but do it now. Now, brothers and sisters, I suggest that you do this daily. People say, ah, we do this moment by moment. Now, you don't do it moment by moment. Come on. You go out to battle, you have your armor on. Let me suggest what this means you do daily. What's the first item that you have? A what? Belt. You remind yourself when you go out into the world, quite literally, you do not have the truth of Christ and you're naked. Everything falls off. Probably one of the reasons why it's good to have your daily devotions, even a daily morsel from the Word of God to remind you, I live out of truth. Number two, what's the second item, children? Breastplate. Acts the breastplate of righteousness. Lord Jesus, I'm going to go out and there's going to be the fiery darts of the evil one accusing me from morning until night. Lord Jesus, in a fresh way, I put on your righteousness. I was telling somebody at the table, people say, Pastor Shisko, when did you trust in Jesus as your Savior? And I say, oh, five minutes ago. Every morning, every night, I look to Jesus as my Savior. And time's in the middle. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Number three, when you go out, you have your feet with the gospel that saved me. I'm going to bring it with others. And that may be very practically like I'll bring some tracts or some copies of ultimate questions, but it means wherever I go, I'm going to bring the gospel with me. Preparation of the gospel of peace. Number four, oh, I've been doing all these. After the shoes, there is the what? The shield. You're going to take your shield with you. When the fiery darts of the evil one are hurled at me, I'm going to lift up those things I know to be true and stand against them. The belt is the system of truth and holy scripture as it focuses in scripture, as it focuses on Christ. The shield of faith is those things you believe that you stand against the accusation of the devil with. What's the next one? On the shield is the what? The helmet of salvation. Head games that come to you in the world. You start reading the newspaper and you've read that on public broadcasting system they have finally found out and there's going to be a whole special out on the TV all this stuff that you read in the Bible about the Lord Jesus is a whole lot of baloney, so don't believe it. Anyway, and you have the helmet of salvation on your head saying, the devil's not going to play head games with me. I'm going to take the truth of redemption as it is in Christ and in the Scriptures and wear it. Coming out of the helmet is the what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's one of the reasons why you memorize Scripture because when you are going to do offensive warfare, you've got to use the Word of God. Okay? So I'm going to take that sword with me. And what's the last one? You're going to pray. Pray in the beginning of that. You probably do far more than once in a day. Why do you pray? Because you're going to lose otherwise. What's the actual use of all of these things? You realize nothing holds together without the truth. And my fellow Orthodox Presbyterians, that's why we learn the Bible. We learn the Catechism. We study the Confession. We study good books of doctrine. Because that truth is the truth in which you stand. You know, that's wonderful cherry pie. I did not have a piece, but it looked like wonderful cherry pie that they had there. Great, sweet stuff. But you can't live on that. You need the proteins and the good carbohydrates of truth. And that's the belt that holds every single thing together. The shield against the devil's fiery darts. Doubts come your way. Do you really believe what the Scriptures say? Why? 
And you say, in light of the Word of God, I know what I believe. And you put up the shield of faith before it. Or, the devil's fiery darts of blasphemies. And maybe this fits with our sister's question about taking the Lord's name in vain. People treat God as if He's worse than dirt. And the shield of faith is to be lifted up before the world and as those fiery darts come to you to say, My God is in heaven and He is holy and I will serve Him. The shield of faith. Or, in very practical terms, doing battle when you use the sword of the Spirit. And do you notice again, looking in the text, do you see again how this is God's armor? Watch. The breastplate of righteousness, the preparation of the gospel of peace, the good news of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. These are things God gives. You do battle when you use the Word of God. I love the sword of the Spirit because Jesus used it. The devil comes and says, Oh, Jesus, you're so hungry. Take these stones and turn them into bread. Jesus takes out not a literal sword because we don't use those weapons. He says, Devil, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil says, All right, I can play at your game as well. I'll take you up on the top of the temple and I'll even quote Scripture too. Jump down from the temple because the Bible says God will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Ah, the devil put on the mask of a Jehovah's Witness and he came to Jesus with the Bible. And Jesus says, Ah, devil, it is written, you don't tempt the Lord your God. The devil says, All right, I'll give you one you can't miss. Here's all the kingdoms of this world, which he didn't own anyway. He was a liar. But he says, You bow down to me, I'll give you these kingdoms. Jesus says, Devil, you've forgotten the fact that the Bible says you're to worship the Lord and serve Him only. That is bearing the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that is, my dear brothers and sisters, why you thank God you are in a church that doesn't raise doubts about the Bible. You pray to God, it never does bring doubts about the Bible. You want to be sure that that sword is sharp and it'll stick. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then you go out into battle and you go out in a day and I ask you, why do you worry? You've got a way you can communicate with the commander-in-chief of the supreme allied commander's forces, the Lord Jesus, and that's prayer. I love these walkie-talkies you've got here. Bill and his sister communicate with one another. And I thought that's exactly like prayer. Here you're on the battlefield. Say, Lord, I'm in big trouble, and you pray. Taking that sword, the weapon of all prayer with you as you go. That's how you use it. But notice, all you must do, and I love this, all you must do with these weapons is stand. Ephesians 6 and verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And if that's not enough, in verse 14 or verse 13, he says, having that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And in case you missed the point, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. He says many times in here, all you've got to do is stand. The word stand in Ephesians 6 and the last part of verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, is to stand and hold a critical place on the battlefield. You don't need to advance. That doesn't say anything about advancing in you. 
All you've got to do is stand firm that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. And I love that. Because I don't have enough strength, nor do you, to advance. Only Jesus can do that. Now, brothers and sisters, all true advances of the church come when believers just stand with that armor. You can study church history and you'll see it for yourself. When the church has gone backwards, as happened for about a thousand years in the early into the Middle Ages, when the church went backwards, it lost. But when God's people stood, there was advance. Let me give you an older illustration and a modern one. I believe it was 1521. Those of you who have better memories for dates in church history can correct me, but I think it was 1521. Martin Luther, German monk. What an amazing thing. Martin Luther was struggling over his soul, and the priest was very concerned about this poor man, and so to divert his attention from his soul, we'll get him to study the Bible. Thank God for that counsel of the priest, and Luther followed it. Luther reads in the Psalms, God will become the righteousness of His people. Luther reads in Romans, that that righteousness is attained by us by faith alone. And Luther expects the whole church to listen. And the church says, let's shut the monk up. We're not getting our money for St. Peter's Cathedral or Falls or whatever it was. 1521, Martin Luther is hauled before the Diet of Worms or Worms in Germany. And he's, all of his writings are put on a table. And he's told, you recant. You take away what you wrote in those books. Say it's wrong. And I'm going to tell you where the last part of the second millennium A.D., had its great dawning where Western civilization as we know it came into being. Even secular writers admit this was the most important event in the second millennium A.D. Martin Luther is standing before a whole council of men who could excommunicate him and make his name something that would be marked for his own death. And they told him, recant of your writings. And Luther was very careful. He guarded it. There were many different things in the writings and so forth. He didn't want to make a blanket statement, but this was a statement that he made that changed the world. He said, To go against conscience, my faith, is neither safe nor right. My conscience is captive to the what? To the Word of God. Here it is. Here I and and I can do no other God helping me and God helping you my friends stand and don't move as education in our land has moved more and more and more and more away from anything that passes as education done in a home or a school or any place just the fact that you Stand and say there is a God who has made the world and there's reality that's true and He governs all things so that there's a purpose is to stand. And my dear brothers and sisters, you stand. doesn't make any difference how the world rages. You stand. And no matter how the world may in all of its silliness say, ah, this whole idea of marriage, it's outmoded. And it's coming 
increasingly in our own land, it's going to be the What difference does it make if a man and women get married in some outdated ceremony that nobody believes anyway or just live together and have kids as they do in Sweden or Holland? You say, no, God has ordained one man and God has ordained one woman. And He has ordained that a man shall leave father and mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and in that bond and in that bond only there will be children and here I will stand. And last but certainly not least, in every generation as in this generation, you are going to have the devil working through all kinds of people including ministers who are going to say, has God really said what He has said in this book? And mark my word, that's the way they will always speak. My dear fellow minister, you say, God said it in this book. I'm willing to go back and study, and if I'm wrong, I'll be corrected. But if having studied it, I say before God, this is what it says, don't move. And you'll advance. Because the Scriptures say, having done all, stand. My dear brothers and sisters, you want to count the cost in this battle. What's that second thing? That the belt's around the what? Breastplate. It does not say a backplate. Right? Notice that. You know, the plate in the back. And here's the reason. Because those generals were no... Victor. Victor. Why didn't they put armor on the back? Yeah, exactly right. Because if you run away, the enemy will shoot you and kill you. They'll get the heart and the lungs from the back. And so therefore, there's a breastplate. My friends, you turn around. You try to run away from the devil. And you're going to lose. Because the Lord gives you the armor that you might stand. Count the cost. Because if you turn back, you're done for. That's why the Scriptures say, press forward toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And here's my promise. You stand against the wiles of the devil. And Jesus will say, remember the battle's mine and you'll get the victory. Use your armor with confidence. Put it on and use it. David said to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. That's pretty scary stuff. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. And Goliath could have been as big as the World Trade Center. And David still would have won. Because in back of that sling and in back of that stone was the power of the Lord Jesus. And for that reason, Goliath fell. And my brothers and sisters, you don't have a post to be a post-millennialist like me to believe that one day the devil will fall just by your standing. Now, there's one thing that is critical to the victory. And the Bible's very clear about that one thing. But you're all tired, so we'll find that out tomorrow night. Let's go through the armor one more time. Then we're going to break and pray. What's the first one? Belt. Second one? Third one? Next one? Next one? Next one? Next one? Ah, and parents, you can go through it with them backwards because you've learned it too. Let's stand and let's pray. 
Lord our God, thank You for the righteousness of Jesus. We thank You that we can see from Your Word how all of these things are the equipment that Jesus Himself had, that He attained, that He used, that He was victorious in, anointed with the Spirit above measure, who conquered the devil on the cross. O oh Lord, make that a blessed study for us. But for now, perhaps more importantly, let us take up the whole armor of God and stand against the wiles of the evil one and remind us that in Christ that victory is sure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.